my mom was an opera singer, so the first music I heard was uh, classical, always. And I went to all the concerts and all that. Um, but uh, I really got to enjoy music when my dad started playing James Brown, because that was more the kind of music that I liked. So uh, that, that's probably the first artist that I danced to and that, that I really felt like, hey, this music, music thing is a really, really cool thing. And, uh, and when, did you, when did you first start becoming curious about making your own music? Um, must have been like, I was, um, I think 12 or something, 12 or 14. Uh, I was watching a lot of the Joaquin Garot, like the French producer. He's a, he's a French DJ and he used to make videos when he was touring with David Guetta uh, in his early days. And I was really, uh, uh, I, I really loved seeing that and I really wanted to make the same kind of music. So really the early days of dance music, um, I, I, I really, I was following it and I, I wanted to make dance music as well. That was kind of like when I saw those videos. And, um... You know what? What kind of um, what what artists um, other than him uh, did 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 you kind of think were doing doing cool things in, in the in the dance scene? Um, and was was that the only type of music that you ever considered making? Because obviously you've integrated all sorts of genres in, into your own music in this space. Yeah, I mean, um, yes, d dance music was the first music that I really actually wanted to make because it was accessible. I didn't, I don't play uh, an instrument. I, I don't have a great voice, um, but I did know, and I didn't have money for a studio or whatever, or like any form of uh, musical education or, or any type of that. So for me, it was the easiest uh, kind of idea to, to make electronic music because all you needed is a laptop and software. So it was very ac uh, accessible and um, so that's, yeah, I, I drew immediately uh, to uh, electronic music. And in the early days, uh, it were really like a couple of artists, like uh, I think Steve Angelo already, he was doing things back then. And uh, I mean, Avicii in his older times as well. And it was all those boys that were not big yet, but they were on forums, forums, uh, like Laidback Luke forum. And I followed them and they were changing ideas and they were my heroes back then and uh, but most of them got really big so so you so you were kind of following that movement before edm really kind of became you know it really kind of took over from pop or became pop yeah, yeah it be before it became pop because it used to be really different music and and the, the sound changed a lot and uh really was different than back in 2010 or even 2008, uh, it was a way different style of music than EDM became eventually. But the early days, it was very, uh, yeah, it was very cool, I think. And, and later it became, for me, too poppy. Yeah, so, so was that kind of disappointing to see, you know, I guess kind of almost, well, I guess it was just before your career really started taking off um, that, that it was no longer becoming this kind of cool, like not subgenre, but kind of a bit more underground, a bit like edgier, a bit, you know, felt cooler. And yeah. then finally it's in now, it's in like every single club, every single bar, 
it's on the radio, you know, at eight, yeah. eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was that disappointing to you? And did you were some of the acts like that you loved? Like, did you did you get you know were you disappointed at them selling out, or did you just think it was kind of cool that the genre was also becoming pop? Uh, I thought I thought it was cool to have that genre get you know recognition. I thought it was really cool, but you know. Um, yeah, I think the quality of the releases uh, eventually went down and, and the, the coolness was like, it wasn't special anymore. Yeah. And it became uh, a bit generic uh, at times. And, um, um, but it was one of the main reasons that, that in, uh, I think 2011 or something, I started putting things online that went a very different direction as to dance music was going at that time. It, it was um, a bit of a rebel kind of uh direction that I took with my music. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it, and it ended up in inspiring um, a lot of people. But so you you were at uni. So were you first, did you first start making your own music just, just for fun? Yeah, yeah, just for fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when did, when was the first time you played someone a record that you'd, that you'd made? Uh, we, I used to do that on, in high school already. I had two friends and we were the only three people in the area I grew up in, it's east of Holland, that actually liked dance music, because back then dance music was very obscure and like they were like, people thought it was really weird. But I had two friends and we, we, we produced and we gave each other tips and we just sent each other the tracks. And that was, I had an audience of two people with every track I made, that was it. And um, when, when so, so you were at uni and you, and you started DJing, right? Um, uh, yeah, I, I started DJing. I I, uh, I got a gig in a little local cafe called Liefer Lust, and uh, but they fired me after one evening because <laughs> I play, I was playing obscure, and they just wanted pop, and I was playing like weird dance records, and didn't they didn't like that? And what what, what type of records were you playing? Mm, man, I don't even like. I I think that was the period when uh that kind of slow melodic house thing came up like i i really like Antim and like a lot of the german djs that that were doing really cool stuff at the moment but it was really slow and it was uh, like not really access uh, accessible or something uh, yeah and it wasn't what, what those wasn't what they, they wanted you to you to be playing in their venue right so so um so when did when did things to start um, start getting serious for you musically? Uh, what what was what was the turning point? Um, I think basically before I I, uh, I was really focused more on studying and uh, when I was studying and just making music on the side and then I decided the last semester to just uh, cancel all the classes all the courses and uh, really focus on trying to find something that I'm really good at uh, creatively. So I, I went to do like stand-up comedy and I made a movie and I just tried to see if I could really, um, yeah, make an effort and, and try to be really good at something. And I also made my first like actual track that I was gonna put online and I was gonna, you know, try to get an audience for. And that first track was, uh, I think, uh, Zomer. And it like really, in a couple of days, it got a lot of plays. So it was like, it really went, like from nothing, and then suddenly I had an audience. And what, what, where, where did you put it up? Was it on SoundCloud? SoundCloud, yeah. 
And yeah, so so were they when when would that have been in sort of two thousand and twelve? Yeah, two thousand eleven, I think. Two thousand eleven, and so and back, you know, did, was the SoundCloud scene kind of um, was it was it? Do you think it was a? Is it still a breeding ground for like up and coming artists? SoundCloud. Or is um, it kind of yeah, like, kind of, but it's it's harder to because it's been there's there's more uploads than. Uh, than back then. So it's kind of, the digging is way harder than it used to be. Like, um, there's a lot of uh, crap, if I may say so. There's <laughs> uh, really like terrible stuff. And you really have to dig for the right, but there's still a lot of talent and a lot of cool new kind of genres, you know, uh, uploaded there. And so, so that, that track, you know, start taking off, and and how how did how did things move from there? A very chaotic whirlwind, and uh, it was like I think a year, and then I had I had a follow up. I had a B side record from Zomer, and that was one day, and it it would it was supposed to be a B side, just like a fun little track that came with Zomer, that was about to be a like uh, officially released. But then that B side got like a big, uh, it got a lot of attention, and it. it turned out to be like a radio hit in Europe. Yeah. And then it was like official festivals and stuff came and they wanted me to play there. And I, and I made a little Gmail account. Like I still have it. It's bakermatbooking at gmail.com. And I had big parties like, and I, I was handling this on my own. And then it was time for like a manager and all that because it was too, too stressful. So at the start, you know, you you were managing yourself, and and you you said you you made so you tried stand up comedy and made a movie, just yeah. like you were gonna you wanted to do something creative. So even at that stage, you hadn't decided like I'm I'm gonna be Baker Matt. I'm gonna you know. Oh, I, I had no clue. The Baker Matt name was even like I just had a study book open and I just picked a word that I liked. It was never meant to be a serious thing. It was just a kind of like a, a goof and, and it kind of got out of hand completely. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. What, 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 was, um, what was the movie? If you don't mind me asking. Oh man, I, I don't even, I, it was recorded with an old uh, like cam with, I don't know, with a tape in it and all that. It was like, a, like a, it looks like 90s footage. And I, I have it somewhere still, but I haven't played it in, in a long time. And it's, it's, the quality isn't that high, I can, I can guarantee you. It's a really terrible, terrible little movie. <laughs> and what about the stand-up comedy? Uh, the comedy went well. I, I, I went to do a competition and I went to the semifinals. And that's, uh, that's all. So that ended there as well. I had, had, had you ever... Um... Had, had you ever done comedy before before trying that? Oh no, that was the whole thing. Like I, I hadn't made made a movie ever. I hadn't take pictures ever. I, I I did make music before that, so that's maybe the reason I was best at that. But it was uh, it was just finding out if I had some talent in any kind of direction. And you 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 had been stud had you been studying psychology, and you just decided like I want to do something creative. Yeah. And what, what, why, why did you want to do something? I don't know. I think it's a more instinct because I, I just, I knew that I, I, I found the studying. It was like, I'm not a really uh, 
uh, academic kind of guy. And um, the and I, I already I was in the third year, and I almost had to pick my masters. And um, when you pick your masters, you also have to like go to like job. You know, they they tell you like what you can do with these masters, what, what kind of job you can get, and all of those like options just really I didn't like them because I I. I I don't know. I just, I didn't want to do them basically. So I, I didn't really like my future as it was planned there. And I just took a, another direction. And so on one day, there's that, there's that um, brilliantly used sample of the Martin Luther King speech. What made yeah. you want to, what made you want to include that? I think it was, uh, we had to, it was an assignment of, um, like, we had to analyze that speech. So I had it on my computer. And then while analyzing, I was analyzing it more musically because everybody was focusing on the lyrics, but I was focusing more on the the way uh, Martin Luther King said it and the, the way, like, the crescendos. And the, it was almost like singing. Um, and it's also a very important aspect of his speech, the, the way he says things and the, the tempo changes and all that. And I was looking at it, I th thought that's like a, a piece of music on its own, this speech. And um, why not build chords around it and build a soundtrack around it? Because, you know, it needs, it almost needs music. Uh, so that's how I just came to that. Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, I mean, it was a real stroke of genius. And so, so, um, you know, one thing that you're kind of like noted for is is your approach live. Like, you know, in contrast to a lot of DJs, you, you know, you, you toured with um, with a live band. How how come you decided to do that? Uh, because I use a lot of live instruments in my like I I make electronic music, but I use like tons of live instruments and saxophones and flutes and violence and uh, whatever because i really in the end i really love the sound of actual analog real instruments opposed to like synthy leads and synth sounds like um i i like the real sounds more so i wanted to have a perfect blend of both electronic beats and electronic bass which i love but then have pianos and violins and saxophones be actual musicians on stage so that those sounds like, yeah, really blend well together. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a very cool idea. And I, I, you know, quite, quite early on in terms of people doing that, you know, it's kind of more, more commonplace now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, cause that, cause you were talking before, you know, how, how, um, you know, you don't play an instrument and stuff, and uh, and and it would have been an easier route, like logistically, of course, for you to just tour by yourself, right? It would have been easier. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do tours by myself, but it's just a DJ set. Um, and I wish I wish I I was able to play an instrument like Kaigo does, for example, on his tours and all that. But I just I I just don't have that. Um, I have terrible like I'm also bad with gaming. Like I have terrible eye, hands, eye coordination. Like, is that how you call that? Yeah. Yeah. So like that, I'm just, I'm just not good at little de detail handles with my fingers. Like I'm more of a, yeah. So pity, but you know, it's, it's also quite nice to 
really focus on composing music and uh, more of a directing role and let the musicians do what they do best and me what I do best. Yeah, create and compose and, and yeah. be create yeah, be creative. And uh, so so that you know that that tour when 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 you started touring with a live band is is that when you were already with with management and stuff by then and taking it pretty seriously. Yeah, I mean to to be able to tour with a band that's logistically super complicated. Um, I mean, as opposed to just showing up somewhere with a with an SD card and a headphones pair of headphones, that's that's easy. But like with a with a band, it was a truck, and you need to wait. Like the truck is stuck in the tunnel between France and England. It's like stuff happens like on a tour, even if you, especially when you have a, a really rigid schedule. So uh, yeah, things go wrong, and if you have to worry about that as an artist, like that's. It's not going to be good for your performance. And and what are some of your what are some of your favorite gigs that you did um, with the band? Because you played some pretty iconic venues. Yeah, um, I think uh, we played um, in London. We played uh, uh, Brixton Academy, um, and that was really cool because it's like really old fashioned, and I love the kind of inside of that. And um, in Paris, we did Olympia, which was for me the best room I've ever played in, the best concert hall I've ever played in. It's it's gorgeous. And uh, we did a really nice tour of these old fashioned kind of concert buildings and uh, which really gave uh, a lot of, um, yeah, how do you say? Uh, it made all the performances more special. Yeah. And and so, so far, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've, you've, you've focused on releasing singles, right? Yeah. Um, do you, do you have plans to make to make a full LP at some stage, or do you feel like today's musical climate isn't really very receptive to long albums? Yeah, I mean, uh, you're completely right. Today's musical climate isn't receptive to to uh, uh, full albums. Um, I think especially younger generations are used to like short bits of music and like don't have the attention span that that the long attention span that's needed for listening to an entire album anymore. But um, no, I'm gonna, I have an album coming right now that, uh, I mean, five of the tracks of, of the album are already released, but there are gonna be five tracks added and they're gonna be wrapped up into an album. And then after that, I got another album coming because of like Corona times, I have all the time of the world. So I made a lot of music and I thought, why not bundle it? Yeah, put it put it together into an album. So yeah, I mean that 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 kind of answers my next question. So you have managed to stay creative during during this kind of like lockdown period. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and to get back to the the previous question, like I I bundle them together, but the problem with an album for me is always that it has to be like consistent in sound, and I like to make all kinds of music and various. So it's going to be very it's going to be two very inconsistent albums coming. <laughs> More like bundles. Well, I'm looking forward to them. And so, so um, for some some artists that I've been t talking to, kind of like look back at the, the the earliest music that they make, and they're like, "Oh, I much prefer what I'm doing now or what I'm about to release." Do you do you look back at your singles and you think, you know, you're you're kind of happy happy with everything, or you or are you one of those people that I just described like you're less interested in the past and more like kind of focusing on the future? 
No, I, I really don't understand people who say that because I'm really, I'm still really proud of what I made back then, and I, th I still love it, and uh, I, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I love all my music whenever I made it. Uh, yeah. So I don't really have uh, like shame for what I released in the past. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and what what uh, because because of um, because of the fact that you focused on singles so far, I guess it's quite difficult for you to pick out like a favorite track or a favorite track or two because you must have probably worked up to these releases, you know, quite hard in quite a lot of detail for a single for a single mm -hmm. track. But is there anything that you've released that you think, you know, that that really has? I have a soft spot for that song. Um, well, on, on a production level for me, as a producer, for me, it was most interesting to produce Party Starter because it's a hybrid between rock and dance and like, and hip hop. It's like those three genres combined. And it was really, it was hard to produce and hard to mix that into a really tight, cool record. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really proud and happy with the end result there. So as a producer, for me as a producer, that's really cool. But then the, the track I'm most proud of is the, the most successful track I've had is One Day. So it's because it, it touched a lot of people and it, it really did, did something for a lot of people. And that, that's most important for me when making music. Yep, uh, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was a smash. But a bit, I mean, of course, things like Bayana and um, you know, Living, they, they were huge. Yeah, they were also and and uh, so you currently obviously can't play play gigs and do do DJ sets. But normally, when when you're touring, um, is it difficult to kind of um, you know is it quite intense? Like there's there's this image that people have of, of dance music, obviously because it's synonymous with um, with partying and all that stuff. Like you know, is it is it is it difficult to to, to kind of keep up with that 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 lifestyle on the road, or are you are you do you find it quite easy? Uh, I find it easy because um, you, you kind of control your own schedule. You can say no yeah. to stuff, so I don't really understand why some guys like put have such a heavy schedule. Like, because you decide yourself. Like every gig that I get offered, my manager asks me, "Do you want to do this?" And uh, even if it's a lot of money, I still don't do tours where I have to play every day because it will completely, because I, I have done them and they, they are, yes, they are, they ruin you because they, they will just completely crush you because you're in a hurry all day and every day and you're like, cause, and I also like to have a drink and I like to party. So uh, I, I will, I'll never do a tour like that anymore. And you don't have to, nobody, nobody's saying you have to do a tour where you have to play every day and be in that part of the country or be in that country and then go to another continent or whatever. Nobody, you know, forcing you. Yeah. Nobody's forcing you. So I don't really understand why some people make these schedules so hard for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's a, that's a fair answer, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, you can kind of make the most of, 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 of the, of the gigs and like party if you want to. Yeah. You can, you can make it really, nice schedule and and have have a lot of fun and um because i also like the people are so like they're always complaining they're like oh i'm, I'm so tired yeah, well, well just skip some gigs then just don't accept everything 
yeah, and have I, a great time, you know, because I, I love to stay after a show and, and party and meet my audience and all that stuff. I think it's a very important aspect of touring, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it, it must must help you forge like bonds and stuff with your fans. And, and yeah, as you say, just have a great time. Yeah. Uh, so so that's a, a great part of it. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. Um, obviously, it's called Greatest Music of All Time. So usually my final question is, um, you know, who, who for you are the greatest greatest of all time and you know you can say you can say anyone it's just like whoever's the greatest of all time to you because I, I did an interview with Duke Dumont and he was saying you know uh, he was saying like you know the prodigy and Daft Punk and he was like it's not Mozart though is it but it's it's my Mozart and yeah yeah like it doesn't that. doesn't really matter yeah it's just um, like whatever whatever means the most to you it is is, uh, is of course very hard to like pick one it'll always be hard yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, for me personally, uh, I gotta say that I think it's Nina Simone is for me the the number one of all time personally because I have all her records and I I listen to it and it makes me happy, it makes me sad, it, it does all kinds of things to me, and it has always done that. And um, I think um, music is supposed to like support you and uh, yeah throughout your life and if there's one artist that has supported me and has always kind of made me feel great or made me feel sad or made me feel anything it's Nina Simone. No yeah, well that's that, yeah it's a very good answer because she's a fantastic uh, artist and sometimes probably not like brought up enough. Definitely the first time someone's mentioned her as an answer. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, funny. So it's nice to have that. Thanks so much for taking the time and uh, you know I hope you're, hope you're able to get back out there and and do gigs and DJ sets as, as soon as, you know, the virus will allow. Yeah, thank you, man.